How has the Opportunity Zone marketplace matured over the past 12 months? What has the investor response been? And is the current pandemic-instigated economic downturn threatening to change everything? Find out next. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast, the weekly show where we interview Opportunity Zones professionals and experts from fund managers to tax advisors, from real estate developers to venture capitalists. If it impacts Opportunity Zones or the Opportunity Funds industry, we cover it here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Atkinson. Jill Homan is president of Washington, D.C.-based real estate development, investment, and advisory firm Javelin 19, and today she joins us from her home office in Washington, D.C. Jill, thanks for joining me, and welcome back to the podcast. Jimmy, thanks for having me, and excited to be with you today, and I'm sure many of your viewers are also at their home offices, so um, you you may may hear a few noises in the background, but we're all trying to make do um, during this time, and you know, really hope um, all your listeners are well and you know, managing during these times. Well, thank, thank you, Jill. Yeah, I, I, I wish you well. And I wish my listeners well, too. And yeah, I heard your kids screaming in the background a few minutes ago, and I know my kids are screaming in the background over here as well. So we've got our hands full. Everybody's, uh, not everybody's working from home, but there are plenty of us who uh, are under stay-at-home orders, and, and we're working from home, doing the best we can. We're recording this in late April of 2020. Uh, so yeah, definitely the world has changed a lot in the last few weeks. Um, but let's let's back up a little bit. But to before the pandemic, uh, Jill, when you you first joined me on this podcast a little more than a year ago, and we were discussing the first tranche of proposed IRS regulations on qualified opportunity funds that had just come out, and uh, you know now here we are in spring of 2020, and well, we've really come a long way since then. We've had the second tranche come out. We've had final regs come out several months ago now. And uh, so really a lot more clarity on Opportunity Zone investing. Um, Put the coronavirus concerns aside for a moment. What trends have you noticed in the Opportunity Zone marketplace since we last spoke a year ago and and especially in the last couple of months since final regs were published? Yeah. And and I appreciate your question um, because really so much has changed with Opportunity Zones since we first spoke. And I would say it's really um, a maturation of the industry. So you go from six pages of legislation to what is now 544 pages of final regulations. And the IRS has done really a a tremendous job to process all of the feedback, the two hearings that, you know, I I know you, I think you went to, to some of them or both of them. I remember seeing you and, um, we testified at both. Um, I testified at both of them, and um, they've taken all of that information um, in and processed it into what I think are a solid set of final regulations um, that were released around the holidays. And with that, um, I think the final regulations I would say got us, you know, probably ninety um, percent there in terms of the information we needed to know um, in terms of really moving and, and enabling investors to have a level of comfort and, and also project sponsors to really try to, it, it's, it's hard to simplify things because with more information, you're also providing, you're putting more um, really 
rules on the road, if you will. And, and so it's, that means that, you know, now project sponsors or fund sponsors have to navigate more rules. But that's really what is needed in order to figure out how current partnership tax law, current tax law can map with opportunity zones. And I would say the remaining 10% are really facts and circumstances based. So just by way of example, if you own land and you are wanting to sell, say, to a developer, sell your property, and you want to take that gain and invest that gain into the project, that is going to be problematic. And so that that's, you know, some of the remaining challenges that folks in uh, working groups and the accounting and legal side are, are really wrestling with. But to go from where we were in early 2018 with just six pages of legislation to where we are now, you really have a significant amount of capital that has moved into this industry, used this tax incentive, um, and it's, you know, it's a really well established. And, and so now it's a lot of the focus is on finding the right investment opportunities, hitting the right in, impact goals, and also, you know, just dealing with particular facts and circumstances that sometimes can be very, very complicated um, when you're dealing with um, different, you know, real estate deals or different operating business companies. Right. There's a lot fewer questions now than, than we had uh, a year ago when we last spoke, that's for sure. And uh, certainly a lot of momentum uh, moving forward in the right direction. People still have questions, but it's, it's with many things. Like when you, write, when you make that charitable tax deduction, the IRS does not affirmatively say, yes, Jimmy, you're going to get a tax deduction. You adhere to the guidance and you write the check and you know, your belief is that you're going to get it. And at some point, that's, you know, that's really where we are. And you're going to have, you know, maybe some sub-regulatory guidance, some additional information, like there was a um, a clarification um, that came out that was a correction. I think it was about 20 pages that provided several more examples. I think you'll see some revenue rulings. But at a certain point, the IRS is not going to um, weigh in on, you know, every single particular question, and, and people really need to make sure that they're meeting the spirit of um, this tax incentive and and just move forward. That's that's very fair of you to point out. That's the, 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 those those are some fair points. Maybe I should have worded it. Uh, we still have questions, but at least the answers are more readily available or forthcoming. And and in certain cases. Yes, it, there is no perfect answer. It will be a facts and circumstances test, as as you point out. But but certainly, there's a lot more clarity moving forward than than there was a year ago. I think you would agree, Jill. Many of your consulting clients and investors are family offices, which are pretty much the perfect type of investor for this program in many ways. Uh, they're subject to accruing huge capital gains. They can be very patient with their capital. Obviously, not they're not the only type of investor that can take advantage of this program, but but they're a substantial portion of the the capital base for many opportunity zone funds. What have you seen in terms of their response to opportunity zone investing over the course of the last year or two? So I think this um, really is is a question that has to be looked at as both like pre-COVID and post-COVID, um, because really. 
where we are, and I know we're going to talk about this a little bit more, is is that in some ways, obviously, the, the world has changed in, you know, what, what was a previous strategy in even the February-March timeframe is, is now a different strategy. And so what I would say, just generally speaking, about opportunity zones is that investors are extremely interested in utilizing this tax incentive, and, and at the same time, um, they're looking for appropriate risk-adjusted returns. And so we've you know, talked in the past, well, what are those returns? And so pre-COVID, it was um, we were looking for around 15 levered deal IRRs, about a 3x equity multiple, um, looking at investing in um, what I'd consider liquid markets, so markets where um, you can point out um, where similar assets have traded so that you have a comfort level over the next 10 years um, that, you know, okay, I'm building this uh, workforce housing product, but, and, and my basis is 30 million, and I can point to other uh, workforce housing projects that have traded and it's an institutional market. And so it, it was really looking at um, those elements, and, and investors were just really trying to focus in on um, which, you know, which projects deliver the right risk adjusted return. Some of the investors were um, very interested in impact, and I would characterize the impact, you know, for example, there's an investor that I work with um, who really wanted to put money into a particular community where he grew up, um, and he would have taken a lower return to find deals in that community. And then other investors are wanting to use the tax incentive. They're, they're um, very significant philanthropists and, and donors, and so they're not attaching a specific impact strategy to it. They just want to use the tax incentive and um, and feel that um, they're going to get an appropriate return. So that, that was really the pre-COVID um, strategy and or pre-COVID how investors looked at it. And we can talk to more about um, kind of what I'm hearing on the, you know, the time, the post-COVID time. Yeah, please. I, I, you know, that was, that was a great rundown of the pre-COVID situation. So what has transpired? What are you seeing among the family office investors over the past, um, I guess, what, six to eight weeks or so since uh, COVID-19 started becoming a, a serious problem here stateside? So there's really, a, a, I would just say, the feedback is just, first of all, the difference in my experience so far with um, this downturn as compared to last downturn is investors um, I've found in, in the last downturn were really just took themselves out of the market. They were so head, heads down, didn't want to talk about deals. Um, this downturn, I found that investors still want to talk about deals, but a lot of capital, their capital is really sitting on the sidelines. And I think it, I'm comfortable and think it should sit on the, the sidelines because we're all looking for some sort of visibility into the other side. What does it look like? And and nobody can predict it because we've never been here before. And and just to make that point, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal um, the other day, and it was you know maybe a, a third of a page interview with Charlie Munger um, at Berkshire, and the whole article was about his phone's not ringing and he has no idea what's going to happen. I saw that, yeah, because because this is so unpredictable, and we're kind of waiting to see where coronavirus takes us. Yeah, and so my view is like, look, if 
Charlie Munger doesn't know where this is going. I, you know, I don't know where this is going, and I think others who are speculating that it'll be an L, a V, a U, that's fine. Um, but it's really, you know, we should all really just take it as that. And so the investors, I'm suggesting, and and you know, they're they're um, of the same mind. It's really, you know, I need to see what the other side looks like. I need to see businesses opening up and is what happens, is it that, you know, this is a, a continued deterioration of jobs? You know, we've lost 22 million jobs, and and that's about the same number of jobs we created over the last 10 years. And, and does this continue to um, decline? Because now you're looking at, for example, um, governments are, are having issues making their budgets work because there's no revenue coming into these states. Or on the other hand, is it there's going to be a significant amount of pent-up demand once businesses start open? We're social beings that we want to go out, we want to support the businesses, we want to know, you know, we're going to be here for the community, we're going to be here and, and help each other. And you know, you take kind of the opposite side and say, look, I think it's going to come back much more quickly than you know the last upturn. And and so it's really hard to say. And so when you're looking at, well, what should I do? I just I would describe it as investors are really trying to find um, price discovery, which is um, you know should should my deal post COVID um, that I was looking at should I get a five percent a ten percent discount? Um, what does that look like? And and I find a lot of um, investors and capital were really trying to figure that out right now. And it also goes to um, we're talking about the opportunity zone tax incentive, which is an equity tax incentive um, and we really need to look at that in combination of how are developers and how are project sponsors really going to capitalize these deals when for example the uh, you know there, there's issues with a lot of banks that are um, so focused on um, the ppp program that they're not really originating the volume of construction financing or or even just um, real estate financing that they had previous um, and a lot of the debt funds, um, a significant number of the debt funds are out of market. And so when you think about your um, equity investing, I think it, you really need to also consider, you know, how is this deal going to get done? It could be a great equity return, but it really is dependent on um, the deal getting capitalized. And so that's what investors are really focused on is how are these deals going to be done? Yeah, some great points. In that uh, discussion, there a couple of things unpacked. I mean, I think you're right. You know, whether it's a L-shaped curve or a V-shaped curve or a U-shaped curve, I think you can really make a pretty rational argument for any of those um, scenarios. But the fact is, you know, at this point, as of at least you know when we're conducting this interview here on April 21st, no one really knows. Um, I think, yeah, I read that Charlie Munger article as well, and that was that was my takeaway. Is you know the phones aren't ringing for him because. Um, everyone's just kind of frozen and and no one really knows what to do. Everyone's just waiting to see um, not even really a policy response or a, a, another government response in, in many cases, but just to see what the virus actually ends up doing. There's, there's so much we still don't know about it. And uh, it's a, it's a bit of a waiting game for everybody at this point. I think I want to talk a little bit more about, uh, COVID-19 and, and some response strategies that you're seeing uh, in a minute here. But but first, I want to talk about um, your email newsletter. Jill, you recently started 
the Opportunity Zone Outlook, which is an email newsletter that you author. And each week you're highlighting real world examples of, of some of the real good that's being done in Opportunity Zones. And I think that's so important today because I, I, I feel like uh, Opportunity Zones in many ways are under attack in, in some ways uh, from, from some of the mainstream media. And, uh, and overall, I think there's a, there's a real public perception problem uh, um, among the, the public. And, and I think that's why it's so important that, that we highlight some of these good stories that uh, may not see the light of day otherwise. Can you speak to that a little bit? And, and maybe there's one or two examples of some, some good Opportunity Zone work that you're seeing that you'd like to highlight. Yeah, and, and I really appreciate it. And if um, any of your listeners would like to sign up for our weekly newsletter, um, you, know, you can always shoot me an email, jill at javelin19.com, um, or you can visit our website, javelin19.com. And I would, I would really suggest that what we're trying to do is, is paint a more um, robust picture of what's happening in the marketplace, um, because I think it, it could be fun um, for some you know, the New York Times or, you know, other, um, uh, you know, uh, there's a, um, another blog um, that has published some articles. And it's, I'm sure it's a good kind of eyeballs and clickbait to write about uh, different articles and, and sensationalize that, you know, the rich are getting richer. And, but it's really not the story of, of the opportunities and tax incentive. And it starts with, you know, this is a true bipartisan tax incentive, and it was it was done both in a bipartisan fashion in the Senate, bipartisan in Congress, and then it passed. And you see within the industry, you see both in the impact space, affordable housing, workforce housing, um, Class A market rate retail, people on operating business venture, um, and CDFIs, just every a whole ecosystem within it, and so. When you see folks on the impact side really push back to New York Times article, it, it just really, to me, it tells that the true story of opportunities and is not being represented. And so, you know, there's stories about, you know, there's class A multifamily buildings that are being built in areas that haven't seen multifamily investment before. Um, we featured an article about an hospital building in Old Twin Falls, Idaho. Um, that was purchased and transformed into a charter school and two apartment buildings. Um, and then there's a small um, apartment building that's being built also in rural Colorado. There's just the level of innovation. I know, Jimmy, you see this as well, that people are coming up with um, in terms of their different ideas for opportunities in businesses. There's a, an innovative real estate project in Chicago that's being done by the Habitat companies, and they're including an outpatient facility, affordable housing, and a film training studio. Um, and, you know, Duluth, Minnesota has six opportunity projects um, that's bringing housing and access to um, healthy food. And it's just, you're, you're seeing these projects that are everywhere from you know, Maine to Florida and California and, and everywhere in between. And I think that's what we're really focused on with the newsletter is, is telling the true story of opportunity zones and, um, and letting folks know what people on the ground are really doing. 
And it's, it's, you see it also in the local reporting. Um, so when you exclude the sensational national reporting on Opportunity Zones and you just read, you know, what's the Pittsburgh paper saying about Opportunity Zones? Um, what's the paper in um, Duluth, Minnesota saying about Opportunity Zones? Really a, a overwhelming, just fact reporting. This is what it is. It's bringing in jobs um, and people are just really excited about it. Yeah, those are several great examples you cited there. And thank you for doing what you're doing with that with that weekly newsletter. I think that's great. I, I read it every week and uh, happy to hear about all the good projects out there. You highlighted but a few of them, and I'm sure there are there are or will be hundreds, if not thousands, more examples like that all over the country uh, over the coming years as this program continues to unfold. Uh, another thing that your newsletter is doing recently here is it's soliciting your readers for their COVID-19 business response strategies. Uh, could you provide one or two examples there as well and, and maybe speak to uh, the opportunity that exists for Opportunity Zones in the wake of uh, the current economic crisis and, and pandemic? Yeah, so I'll give two strategies and we can talk about what's happening there. And, and so just two stories readers shared one was how they were taking um, one uh, real estate sponsor was taking and rebranding um, their property and developing it into a facility to manufacture personal protective equipment PPE um, and it was really a way to both address this urgent need and and then you know there's tax incentive associated with it um, another reader who I know um, very well reached out and said, you know, we, they had primarily invested, they're a very successful real estate company and primarily invested a lot off their own personal balance sheet. And their takeaway and what they're thinking about is um, that they should really start, and they're thinking about raising a fund, um, whether it's OZ or not OZ, they're just thinking about they need to take some of their own balance sheet and, and take some equity on, out of their own investments and, and bring in additional investors so it's it's not all um, heavily focused on just their equity capital. And, and that's how they're thinking about it is um, how can they think about structuring their deals in a way that's more efficient um, and spreads the risk. In terms of just other COVID strategies, I've just thinking a lot about which asset, which asset types, which locations are not really impacted by COVID, but are being pulled down by just the overall downturn in the market. Um, because I think, you know, when you look at, for example, the easy one to talk about is, you know, Amazon logistics. And, and just every day, we're all getting several Amazon packages. They're hiring significant numbers of workers. And in the fact that um, their stock isn't on a tear and there's there's some weight down um, of their um, of of them as a company, but also in the overall industrial space, I think is something that is interesting. Um, and so it's just we're we're thinking a lot about um, different strategies that are being burdened by COVID, and and that really it it's operating outside of the direct impact of COVID, if you will. No, that's great. And uh, 
again, there's several good examples that you've highlighted in your newsletter over the last few weeks. Um, so yeah, I would encourage my listeners to to sign up for Jill's email newsletter at, at javelin19.com. And I'll be sure to link to that in the show notes for today's episode as well. Uh, Jill, we just got a few more minutes here before uh, we'll call it quits for this episode. But, uh, you know, before we go, maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, Javelin 19 and, and what you're working on specifically at the moment in the Opportunity Zone world. Yeah. And, and again, I just want to thank you, Jimmy, for um, lack of a better word, for the opportunity to be with you today. Um, you know, I've, I've really been thrilled to participate in one of your early, your early interviews and, and then here today and just seeing the growth of your company. So congratulations to you on, on your success. Um, at Javelin 19, we're focused on, um, really solely focused on utilizing the opportunities and tax incentives. Um, so we both um, develop, um, co-develop in opportunity zones. We invest in, in opportunities and projects, and then we advise um, opportunity funds. Um, so it's, it's really a, um, you know, we're on the GP side or the LP side, or we're providing some strategic advice to those utilizing the tax incentive. Um, we are, we have a student housing project that we're partners on. Um, we're working on a project in a rural opportunity zone um, that's several hundred million dollars. We're also working with um, several very successful fund managers who have raised an opportunity, an operating business opportunity. And a lot of my comments have been focused on real estate, but this is also a tax incentive for operating business as well. Um, so we're working with them, and you know, and it's just been a pleasure to to get out and meet so many people who are really being creative and. And utilizing this tax incentive and, and making such a positive impact in these low moderate income communities. Oh, that's great. And, you know, again, thank you for the kind words, by the way, about uh, um, my podcast and, and the website. I appreciate it. And, and thank you for all that you're doing for the Opportunity Zone space. Uh, we appreciate your hard work and, and your newsletter and, and your consulting services, especially. Uh, hit, hit us up with that uh, website URL one more time. Where, where can our listeners go to learn more about you and, and Javelin19? What's the best way to reach out to you? Great. Thanks, Jimmy. Um, the website is javelin19.com. That's J-A-V-E-L-I-N, the number one, the number nine.com. Or you can always email me at and my email is jill, G-I-L-L, at javelin19, J-A-V-E-L-I-N, number one, number nine, dot com. So um, we welcome hearing from you guys. Um, and again, you know, really wish everyone uh, the best of health and um, hope folks are managing during these challenging times. And I just have, I'm so optimistic that, you know, we as a country are going to get through this and get to the other side. And um, and retool and, and, and bring those 22 million jobs back. Yeah, I, I share that optimism as well. I, I hope you're right. Uh, and for our listeners out there today, I will have show notes on the Opportunity Zones database website for this episode. You can find those show notes at opportunitydb.com slash podcast. And there you can find links to all of the resources that Jill and I discussed on today's show. Again, Jill, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much, Jimmy. I appreciate it. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by the Opportunity Database. 
Visit OpportunityDB.com to learn more about Opportunity Zones and Opportunity Zone Fund Investing. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and read more about today's guest in the show notes by visiting OpportunityDB.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.